Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Jibber Jab MMA podcast. My name is Rory Pollard. I am your host today once again. Um, we are officially getting into UFC pay-per-view 258, Gilbert Burns versus Kamaru Usman. Massive, massive pay-per-view coming up as term- in terms of the headliner. Massive fight to... to- Two welterweight beasts ready to go at it. Super Bowl is officially wrapped up. I know I said I was excited about that, but even more excited that we're getting into baseball season now. Baseball fan at heart. Um, Yankees are looking primed for another big season. Hopefully they don't get injured, injury problems once again. And like uh, like the Yankees, we got some heavy, heavy hitters coming up in the UFC. Stipe Miocic and Ghana is right around the corner. Massive heavy hitters coming up there. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We have UFC 258 on deck. And yeah, that that's that's what's coming this weekend. And that's what's going to be super, super exciting to talk about. A lot of great news coming in. Tons of news coming outside the UFC too. We're going to talk all about that. Let's get right into it. I don't want to postpone it anymore. Okay, everyone, and welcome back. And as I said, we are primed and ready to go into UFC 258, full force ahead. Super, super excited. Really top-heavy card, in my opinion. Only one, one fight that's gonna blow your blow your mind, and that is indeed the main event. Kamara versus Gilbert Burns. That's what we're all gonna be buying on on Saturday. That's what we're putting our money into, hoping that that fight is as crazy as it can be. And it definitely has the chance to be very, very insane. A lot on the line for both these guys. We're going to talk all about that later on in the show, but we're going to work our way from the bottom of the pay-per-view, starting with the early prelims and work our way all the way up into the main event. I'm going to save that crazy, crazy main event for last. I'm going to quickly, quickly touch, and I emphasize quickly touch, on some of these other fights pre pre uh coming ahead of the main event I should say um yeah like I said there's not too much that is worth investing too much time into besides the main event so we're gonna breeze through these I'm gonna try to go quickly because it is getting late where I am too I do have work in the morning unfortunately so we're not gonna waste too much time on any of these other fights so let me just quickly go through these other fights. We have Brian Kelleher versus um, Ray Simone. I, I believe is his name Ray. Um, let me pull up the main event real quick. This isn't going to be real quick at all. Anyways, I should talk about it as I'm going. Brian Kelleher is a USC veteran at this point. I, I has, If I remember correctly, a bunch of fights inside the USC now. He's facing some pretty, pretty tough guys. 
and he's a big name in terms of a prelim fighter, in my opinion. He's 34 years old now. He's basically in his prime. Brian Kelleher is... He last fought against Ray Rodriguez, but he's also fought guys like Cody Stamen. So, yeah, you know, he's been in the featherweight division for a while now. He's dated back, like, fight fought, like, three, four years ago. He's been in the UFC for a long time, professional competitor since 2011. He's competed in Bellator and CES. Just, you know, he's been around. So, and in terms of a guy like Ricky Simone, sorry, that was his name, Ricky. We, la- we, we saw him fight this year already. He, he fought in January 20th. He's on the Kiesa versus Magni card, and it's a real quick turnaround, less than a month turnaround for Ricky Simone. And the reason he's able to do so is because he, he demolished his, his last opponent, Perdalo, wrestled him, wrestle-fucked him the whole fight, basically. He was able to take him down and do whatever he wanted to him at will. And he took very, very little damage. So very quick turnaround for Ricky Simone. Looked like an absolute savage in that last fight. And he's taking a big step up with Brian Kelleher now. As we said, he's a vet. And there's levels to this game. And he's taking, he's jumping a few levels to take on Brian Kelleher. This is a legit challenge. And if he can, if he can do the same thing against Brian Kelleher, massive, massive stuff. Like he's trending heavy in the right direction in the UFC featherweight division, in my opinion. He can start looking at, at being a a contender, like a serious contender inside the division. If he takes out Brian Kelleher, maybe maybe cracks the rankings. Who, who knows? So that that's a feature fight of the early prelims. Um, stepping up into the. Um, the prelims now. I'm only going to talk about the, the feature fight for the prelims as well. We have Jim Miller versus Bobby Green. And let me t- Bobby Green put on an amazing pre-fight interview. This guy does not hold anything back. You can you know what kind of character this guy is just by listening to him talk for 10 seconds. <laughs> he has character, man, and he he's, wears his emotions on his sleeve. Like you, You know who this guy is as soon as you meet him. He says what he means, and he means what he says. Just just a real dude. and <laughs> um, Yeah, he said it all in a fun way, but you can tell he's also being serious. Like, he's joking around and having fun, but he's he's being serious. And when he says, he's asked about one, like, if he still has pursuits for the title. And he shut that down real quick. He said all he's fighting for at this point is, is for his loved ones. He wants to take care of his family and his friends. And can you blame the guy? Like, who, like... That, that seems what to be like almost all these fighters are fighting for it nowadays it's like Dustin Poirier you heard about it a lot like Bobby Green has now 38 39 fights in his professional career so he's he's 34 he's in his prime he's looking to do something exciting and like the way he's talking when, when he's talking about taking he wants to take care of people if he wants to get paid, you know he's he wants to put on an exciting fight. That's how you get the bonuses. That's how you get exciting fights, and tr- like have your name trend in the right direction. So he's probably gonna look to put on an exciting show. He's talked about finishing this fight, lightning quick, but he's taking on Jim Miller, tied for the greatest UFC vet of all time right now. I think he's tied with 36 fights with Donald Cerrone. These two guys are in the race for 40 fights. Uh, I think they're they're. Both headed head at 36 fights, both on the race to 40 inside the UFC octagon. And 
That's what Jim Miller. That's what motiv- Jim. Or sorry, Bobby Green is motivated on trying to take care of his family and friends. Jim Miller right now is motivated by pursuing pursuing forty fights, and he wants to be on the UFC three hundred card. That's what's like inspiring Jim Miller in his career at this point. So so props to him. Him and Donald Cerrone are neck and neck, and Donald also has his next fight booked. So, it, it, like, if that becomes a storyline, that's going to be a ton of fun to follow. Like, who's able to stay more active and stay healthier and be able to pursue that 40 fight club first, like, be the first to break through that. So that, that's kind of an interesting subplot to this fight. Um, and if he wants to accomplish these things, he's going to have to be an exciting fighter, too, to fight on UC 300. You know how UC does these uh, I don't know, century, century mark events, whatever you want to call it, in terms of their pay-per-view events? When, when you enter that century mark, you know they're putting on a ton of, ton of amazing names of ton of like fights that everyone wants to see. UFC 100 and 200 have crazy fighters. Like, let me pull up like one of the cards real quick. For example, UFC 200. Let's see what kind of names they put on this this event. They had Brock Lesnar versus Mark Hunt. They had Daniel Cormier versus Anderson Silva. Misha Tate versus Amanda Nunez. Just an insane card. Jose Aldo versus Frankie Edgar. Cain Velasquez versus Travis Brown. What like that? Talk about Bane for like that's in like one of the greatest cards you'll ever see in your life. That, like the and these cards like you have your, your preliminary card. You have T.J. Dillashaw versus Raphael Sunsau, Kevin Gaslam against Johnny Henricks. Th- these are free fights that you're getting at this point at UFC 200. Just mind blowing. So to wrap it back around to Jim Miller, if he wants to get on a card like that, then he's got to stay. One, he's got to stay healthy and active, and. Two, he's got to be one of the most exciting fighters inside the UFC octagon. So both these guys, the way they're talking, they're looking like they want to be putting on an exciting show if they if they're smart enough to pursue what they want. So that's why I'm I have this in question mark. Will this be the fight of the night? I'm not predicting it yet. I'm not gonna state it, but. The way these two are talking, it feels like this has fight of the night potential. Two vets, they both know how to like what to do inside the octagon. They're both gonna look to make fireworks. So that's how I see this fight going right now. Very, very interesting fight. Um, but as I said, we gotta breeze through these real quick. There's a lot to talk about in terms of news as well, not just the pay-per-view. Okay, so on to the main card. Um, we have Patola versus Vasquez kicking it off, if, um, as long as I understand this correctly. And I, do, I don't like predicting cards that or fights that I haven't seen one of the fighters in. I, my brother showed me a quick highlight of Julio Marquez uh, in his last fight. He, he took... He, in his last fight, it's saying he lost to Alessio De Chirico. I feel like my brother showed me a highlight of Julio Marquez where he, he was put on a highlight finish, but I could be wrong. But anyways, the reason I was going to predict this fight as a loss for Mackie Patolo, he, he lost, like he's on a losing two-fight losing streak, lost to Darren Stewart and Impa Kasaganai. So I don't know, it, losing to Impa and this Julian Marquez guy I felt like I thought I saw some some interesting highlights from him so I, I'm just gonna I don't I don't know I won't predict this fight 
but I, I don't have high hopes for Maki Batolo in this fight, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Anyways, moving on to the next fight, we have Ian Heinzich takes on Kelvin Gaslam. Um, let me pull it up real quick. I don't want to make a mistake, but my brother seems to be super excited for this fight in terms of Kelvin Gaslam. He seems to always put on um, amazing fights. He, he's just got that warrior spirit inside of him. And Ian Heinzich, I, I haven't seen fight before. Uh, he last defeated Gerald Mearshart, so that was June 6, 2020. And yeah, like going from Gerald Mearshart to Kelvin Gaslam's a massive, massive step up. I don't know what other kind of victories Ian Heinzich has under his belt um, inside the octagon. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to dive too deep into it. But in, in terms of Calvin Gaslam, um, let me pull it up. He's on a three-fight losing streak, but everyone he's fighting nowadays is super, super tough fighters. Like, I, I don't blame these losses at all. The, the people he's fighting are just so tough. Like, he's he hasn't had a, a, any easy fights in his last few fights. He's losing to Jack Her- Hermanson, Darren Till, and he put on that absolute show against Israel Adesanya. He, he possibly had the best fight anyone's had against Israel Adesanya inside the octagon in that five-round decision. He made, he made it to the final bell against Izzy in a five-round fight. So, like, very like that's impressive in itself. But he's just so undersized for the division. He's 5'7 as a middleweight. 5'7, 185 pounds. It's kind of crazy to, like, <laughs> to think about 5'7 as, like, probably, like, the average height for flyweights almost, it seems like. Or at least bantamweights. Cause, and he's this guy's fighting, for, like, 50 pounds heavier than those divisions. And it's not like he's... Packing on muscle. It's it's so hard to predict Calvin Gaslam fights. He seems to get finished. He sometimes doesn't seem to get finished. He shows off a chin, but then he gets rocked. I don't, I don't know. Hermanson submitted him inside the first round. It's it's tough to say. I, I don't know. I, I won't predict this fight, but it definitely has some potential to... The way Calvin Gaslam fights, I haven't seen any Heinzich fight, has has some potential to impress, I guess. I can say that. Um, yeah, interesting fight. If we move one fight further down towards the, or up towards the main event, we have uh, Grasso versus Macy Barber. Um, we have two, two flyweight contenders, number 10 versus number 15, if I'm remembering correctly being the co-main event. Yeah, Macy Barber versus Alexa Grasso. Macy Barber's coming off that loss against Roxanne Modafferi. So, not an easy fight at all. She's still, like, she calls herself the future. She's only 22 years old, and Grasso's only 27. So, Grasso's coming off a win, but just before that win, she lost to the former champ, Carlos Esparza. Both these, both these are young, young contenders with bright futures. So, yeah, both both of them have a lot of line, and it's in a tough division. When you look at these female weight classes, it's just, like, the champions in each weight class seem so head and shoulders above the rest. Like, 
I, I don't know. Like, I know it really doesn't relate too much to the spike because these are more towards the end of the line in terms of ranked contenders, number 10 and number 15, so it's not like they're going to get the title shot right after this fight if they win. But it's like, I don't know how these female fighters hold hope when they look at the top and you see Valentina Shevchenko just taking heads off of other fighters. It's great, like, just being able to play in any which way she wants with them inside that octagon. It's just mind-blowing. And if I know if I was a female fighter looking at that, I guess you have to believe that you're better. But if you're going to be a fighter, I guess you always have to believe you're going to win. But I don't know. Anyways, two, two very young fighters. They have a long way to go before they even get to that point. I just want to point out, like, each division, you have Wei Li Zhang and Amanda Nunez on both sides of her, too. Both those fighters seem head and shoulders above the rest, too. Besides, you want to Jachev and Rose. I guess that's a pretty competitive division, but... any Yeah. There's just some... The divisions seem really top-heavy. But in terms of this fight, both are young. Both have a lot to prove. Exciting fight. Co-main event. It's not super, super exciting for a co-main event on a pay-per-view. I don't think anyone can argue with me on that, besides my brother, apparently. I I believe the UFC wanted to schedule Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler here. But Charles Oliveira, like as we stated earlier, Charles Oliveira declined that fight. Because this is the the pay-per-view where Chris Weidman versus Uriah Hall fell out unfortunately and the UFC tried to replace that fight I believe with Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira declined I'm not sure if they tried to replace that fight anywhere else like uh, with any other fighters but that's the only one I heard about and with Charles Oliveira declining as we stated earlier in a previous episode I guess they weren't able to put on any other co-main so unfortunately that that happened and we're now stuck with this four fight pay-per-view they're probably going to bump one up I'm going to say maybe they move the Bobby Green versus Jim Miller up into the 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 main card but that only takes away from the prelims so I don't know like I said very as I was saying about the female division about being a top heavy division this is also a top heavy card we're going to move right into the main event and this is where we're going to put most of our focus into because yeah this is this is the one that's worth all the marbles this is where all the attention i feel like when we go from macy barber versus alexa grasso into this main event the the level of intensity and suspension like you're gonna be able to have a pin drop in the room because it's gonna go from a fight that doesn't mean much to a lot of people to a, a fight that's gonna blow a lot of people's minds if it plays out correctly like this fight is the one we've all been waiting for for a long, long time. This fight previously got scheduled maybe last, I'm not sure when it was, last December maybe, last November, something around that. But Gilbert Burns had to pull out, I believe, because of COVID. And Street Jesus himself, Jorge Masvidal, was able to replace him and save the pay-per-view. But fortunately for us EOC fans, it looks like the fight is going to make it this time. We've we've heard the long-told story now about this these two fighters, Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns, two teammates. They've been training with each other for a long, long time now and at the same gym. It's being compared a lot to John Jones versus Rashad Evans. 
um, with two teammates, and they eventually meet up with each other, competing for the belt. As we all know, John Jones takes that fight, and the two part ways. And I don't, I don't know if they've ever been friends to each other since. I, I feel like there's still bad blood there. I'm not sure if this fight goes that way. They seem to not hate each other that much. It's just Gilbert Burns has earned his way to the top in a lot of people's eyes, I guess. Um, and now he's earned himself a title shot with the from the UFC, and he's fa- he has no choice but to face his t- former teammate in Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman was forced to move gyms in this fight, move up to Colorado from Florida, and he's now training with Trevor Whitman in his gym. At, I believe they're, the name of their gym is Elevate. Which, if you're gonna switch gyms, you can't go wrong with moving to Colorado. Like. There's, there's a lot that a lot of positives to take away from that. Like, people might say this is hurting Kamaru from changing gyms, but I feel like it's not going to, like, in terms of Kamaru, if anything, it's going to be a benefactor to him because he's moving to, like, we're going to dig more into it as we, when we talk about Kamaru, but there's a lot that can go right from moving to the gym at Elevate. He's just been around for so long that he he knows the kind of preparation he's going to need, especially for a long, long-time teammate. He's going to know exactly what needs to be done to prepare for this fight. And if you go back and listen to Rashad Evans talk about the fight with John Jones and how it differed from sparring, he talks about how the elbows in sparring, or in the real fight, sorry, kind of... Those were the things that took him by surprise. He wasn't prepared for the elbows, and those were the things... Those elbows were doing the most damage to Rashad Evans in the real fight. That, And the reason that he was surprised by those elbows is because you can't throw elbows in sparring. Like, you don't put a pad on your elbow to spar. So, basically, spar- elbows are taken out of sparring for the most part. So, there's no way for him to prepare for that, or, or there's no way for him to see those elbows in sparring, to, like, when he is sparring with John Jones, that he could have been ready for it. So, when you think, when you take that into consideration, what could be the biggest surprise of this fight? Um, who, who's going to surprise who that, that shows off something that they didn't see in sparring? From an outside look, glancing in, it seems like... It's hard to say. These guys are both overwhelmingly confident coming into this fight. It's kind of crazy because they've sparred so much against each other for them to both be this confident. It's hard to say who who is outsparred who at their at their previous gym down in Florida uh, with the Black Zillions. But if I were to guess, it, Kamaru Usman just seems like a a little. He just seems so calm and poised and he just seems relaxed going into this like he knows how the fight's gonna play out already where Gilbert Burns has more of that like like that sneaky kind of confidence where like he has a bag of tricks like he he has something that he hasn't shown in sparring like we're saying he hasn't shown Kamaru maybe it's cause he was saving it cause he thought maybe I'll fight this guy one day uh, maybe he's rolled with him on the ground, did some wrestling and some jiu- jiu- jiu-jitsu rolling with Kamaru. 
and he he realized Kamaru has an opening on the ground and he he just didn't want to exploit it yet maybe he wanted to save it for the real fight and he always held it in his back pocket like only I'll be able to do this to Kamaru only I'll know about this to do it to Kamaru so maybe I'll, I'll keep it in that back pocket just for me and I won't show him that that weakness he has who knows like who knows where Gilbert Burns is getting this overwhelming confidence from where it's like he's flaunting with confidence and he he seems like both these guys seem convinced that they're going to win the fight so it's really really weird to as an outside spectator looking in how this fight's going to go but we're going to try our best to think about how it's going to go what these both these fighters are probably going to look for and with that being said we're going to talk about the champ the reigning champ of the welterweight division 16-1 Kamaru the Nigerian Nightmare Usman what what's his game plan going to be in this fight as we said he changed gyms but what does changing gyms really mean for Kamaru Usman he he moves to elevate so his as a guy in Kamaru Usman who who never gets tired to begin with he's moving to elevate where you're training in Colorado you're getting that oxygen in like that oxygen or mal oxygen what do you want to call it the oxygen oxygen deficit training whatever where you're training with lower oxygen so when you're fighting you're at a surplus of oxygen and you don't seem to fatigue at the same rate so that plays in his favor may possibly as a guy who doesn't get tired already just having that surplus of oxygen maybe he's just a beast in this fight he already seems super calm and confident. He's now training with one of the best coaches in the game. Trevor Whitman is like a very, very note, like praiseworthy coach. He, he's he's been, he's a, more of a striker coach, so I feel like that plays in Kamaru's hands a little bit as well. You think about, for example, football or any sport, really, I guess. But I hear a lot about it in football, where where you want your head coach to be. His pros to be the your cons. So if you have a, a football team with amazing offense, but a lackluster defense, you want your head coach to have a great defensive scheme that kind of tones down the cons or hides the cons or is able to turn those cons into a slight pros, however you want to view it. But I feel like maybe that maybe that kind of shows effect with Kamaru Usman. He he moves to a striking gym, training with Justin Gaethje and, and the likes, with a bunch of top tier strikers, and you can arguably say striking like the striking is not a weakness for Usman, but it's not his strongest strength. So maybe training with these guys, his striking reaches the next level and he's just one of the most well-rounded fighters we've ever seen. He already is, but if he can take his striking to a, a, a space where it's elite or considered close to elite, then I don't know who's stopping this guy because it's like he's a tough fight for anyone, man. He's just a physical freak. He feels like he knows what to do. He's been around the game for so, so long now just he seems to know what it takes to win at this point and he's confident in understanding what he has to do he's on this 16 fight win streak he's now unbeaten since 2013 he's 12 and 0 inside the octagon since joining the ufc 
His last fights, he's beaten Tyron Woodley for the belt. And then since then, he's defended against Kobe Covington and Jorge Masvidal. So, Woodley was possibly considered, in my eyes, probably the third best welterweight champion we've seen. But now, Kamar Usman just wiped him. And ever since, been on an absolute tear. He seems unstoppable. Kobe Covington's no joke. And Jorge Masvidal, even though he didn't. He didn't show grading in that fight in Usman. Like, he had his moments, and Jorge Masvidal's no joke, man. So, the, the, these people he's beating, and not just beating, but, like, crushing. It's just so impressive, man. He, he's never, like, another stat for you, he's never been taken down or knocked down inside the octagon. So, no one's got him to the ground under their power. He's the toe stomp champ of the world I've never seen someone stomp feet as much as this guy does he loves to clinch hold you up against the fence and stomp your feet that must not feel great but I guess in terms of what he possibly can do some fighters are willing to take that just stomp the crap out of Mazadal's feet in the last fight but in terms of this fight against Gilbert Burns what's the avenue he wants to take to pursue victory how does he how does he secure the the win against a fighter like Gilbert Burns we, we who's a world-class jiu-jitsu champion probably top top tier maybe the best jiu-jitsu in the game you hear Josh Thompson say that he's got better jiu-jitsu than Damian Maya so what should Kamar Usman's approach be towards Gilbert Burns compared to other fighters and I feel like the the question is, what does he respect more? Like, the grappling of Gilbert Burns or the striking? And I feel like the answer to that question has to be the grappling. When you look at Gilbert Burns as a world-class jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu practitioner, I feel like this fight leans a lot more towards how he fought Kobe, how Kamaru fought Kobe Covington as opposed to Jorge Masvidal. In that fight with Jorge Masvidal, he was basically just able to hold him up against the cage or hold him on the ground at will. Basically, for 90% of that fight, he just had him in complete control in the clinch and in the grappling. But in terms of Kobe Covington, who's a much more respected wrestler and grappler as a fighter, he he, he welcomed stand-up against Kobe, and I feel like that's where this fight goes for Kamaru. I feel like he's probably going to target mostly stand-up, striking, especially coming from a striking gym now. Maybe he has some new tools he wants to show off that catch Gilbert by surprise. Um, that's just, that's just my quick take. I, I, I feel like he, he says it himself. He's just such a, like, he might not be the best rap wrestler. He might not be the best grappler. He might not be the best striker in the game or anything like that, but he's one of the best, most well-rounded fighters. He will, like, he'll, he'll beat you in a, a multitude of elements inside of the MMA. When you mix it all together, that's what makes him great. So I feel like he's he's gonna take he's gonna make it an MMA fight. He's gonna use all his tools. He's gonna show off all his weapons in terms of how he wants to beat Gilbert Burns. I feel like he can't just be a one trick pony against Gilbert like he was against Paz at all or anything like that. Yeah. I feel like this is he shows off the, he does use his grappling, he does wear on Gilbert. That that's an underrated thing that I haven't heard too much about. Gilbert Burns coming into this fight I could uh, let me look at Gilbert Burns real quick 
in terms of his recent fights. I want to see how much five. So he he did main event against Tyron Woodley, but hmm, other than that, it doesn't look like he has too much five round experience in terms of going through the championship rounds where Kamaru Usman has basically only fought there since taking down Woodley. So, yeah, it looks like Gilbert Burns' only experience in a five-round fight is against Tyron Woodley, where Tyron Woodley basically sat his ass on the fence the whole time. So, and basically let Gilbert Burns do exactly what he wanted to him. Or do do anything I will in terms of how he approached Tyron Woodley. This is... This is going to be a completely, completely different fight than that. What Gilbert Burns was able to take to Tyrone Woodley. <clears throat> Kamar Usman is not going to let him be anywhere close or near as comfortable as he was in that fight. And as Gilbert Burns was against Tyrone Woodley. Kamaru's going to wear on him. He's going to beat him down. He's going to take him take him into some deep waters. And he's going to be vicious and cruel. Tyrone Woodley doesn't have that meanness in his heart anymore. Kamaru Usman does. He's willing to beat on you and get violent. And if that happens, how does Gilbert respond in terms of a five-round fight? Can he take, can he withstand all that punishment and still show some some spark late late in the fight where he can go into the championship rounds and still put a put a pedigree or put some put some action on the Kamaru where Kamaru's just not dominant at that point in the fight. That I feel like that part hasn't been noted as much where Gilbert doesn't have the same five round experience. I feel like a lot of people are taking in that fight against Tyron where he is excellent through all five, but I this fight is not gonna play it the same way. So I feel like Gilbert could find himself in trouble when it comes to the championship rounds if it does make it that far. Yeah, um the only thing left I have to say about Kamar Uzman in terms of the, the like if he wins this fight, what like I don't know what's next for this guy. He's looking for he he said before he's looking for some a next potential standout fight amongst contenders like the contenders like someone to stand up and and show some spark. That could have been Hazmat Jamayev, but unfortunately we have some news to break after this. I, I probably shouldn't have said that, but. That, that's coming later. But, like, as I said, he if Kamaru Usman wins this fight, what's next for him, man? Like, he's cleared out the whole freaking division now. If he beats Burns, like, you look down the list, he's beating everyone. So, yeah, that's that's Kamaru Usman. Let, let's switch over to Burns' side. What, what, what does this fight look like for Burns if he were to win? Um, can't, like... To start off, can he be the first Brazilian welterweight champion to win in the weight class? It's the last missing belt for the nation of Brazil. They've, they've won the belt in every other division. The only belt that Brazil is missing is welterweight, and Burns has a chance to secure it for his home country. How cool would that be? He's definitely got a chance. I know I've said a lot of strong things about Usman in opposed to Burns, where Usman's going to have a ton of advantages. But, like, we'll all be fools to count out Gilbert Burns. This guy's an absolute savage since moving up to the division. He's 4-0 since moving up in weight. And, and, and talking about weight, I, I quickly want to touch on... It's crazy how some fighters, you see, they'll move up in weight classes and become, like, they'll completely change the outlook of their careers. We've seen it with 
similar guys inside his weight division like Chiesa. He also moved up from lightweight and became a different fighter. Dustin Poirier, in recent memory, came up and looks like a different fighter. What, like, you can look through basically any division inside the UFC where people move up in weight and just they just look like completely different guys and it's just such so mind-blowing where they don't put on the weight cut and they just like Jorge Masvidal we are talking about this episode too just completely different fighter since moving up the weight class and and then you look at a guy like Kamaru Usman who just puts on a massive massive weight cut to make the make the weight and he probably enter, enters the octagon over to, to make 170 with the frame he does he has to be walking into the octagon plus 200 pounds where Gilbert Burns maybe 190-ish but like I, I won't be surprised if Kamaru Usman has like a 10 plus weight advantage over Gilbert because Gilbert he's not a small 170 by any means you look at him, and he's able to put on some muscle and pack on some weight. But Kamaru Usman, it's just a freak. He cuts a freakish amount of weight, and he's able to still go five rounds without slowing down, and he doesn't lose durability. He's got a chin of absolute carbon, like just steel, steel, rock-hard chin. With a massive weight cut, it's just mind-blowing how some fighters are able to move up a weight class, and their durability increases, and their power increases and their speed stays the same and they're just completely new threats inside a division but you look at a guy like Kamaru Usman who just cuts a massive amount of weight and doesn't seem phased at all just an interesting side note about this fight that I was kind of looking into but anyways how how will Gilbert Burns probably want to approach this fight um he he is he confident enough in his stand-up to stand up with Kamaru? Does he think he has an advantage there? I don't know. You've seen the kind of striking he's had against Damian Maya, but Damian Maya isn't an elite striker. Or he's not one of the most elite strikers you'll see inside the division, that's for sure. Kamaru Usman is a much, much more significant stand-up threat. So... Will Gilbert try to take him down? Will he try to use some Brazilian jiu-jitsu and try to trip him and and win this fight on the ground? But like we're just saying, Kamaru Usman just a, such a bigger, stronger guy inside that division. The weight, he's, he's just going to be so much bigger than Damian Maia that his strength is going to be a very, very gruesome threat or very, very big problem for... Gilbert Burns to try to take him down. As we were saying earlier, no one's ever taken down Kamaru Usman. No one's ever knocked him down either. But no one for the more interesting stat line for that in terms of how Gilbert Burns should fight him, no one's ever taken him down. So that's just will Gilbert Burns be the first person to do it? Could be, but it's just he's Kamaru Usman's so big and strong. It's gonna. It will be a significant challenge. But if he can do it and do it repeatedly, then that's that's gonna be a massive, massive win for Gilbert. If he can't take down Kamaru, and I feel like Kamaru wins the clinch. If he's not able to take him down and he just tries to clinch up against the fence, Kamaru's probably gonna win in that arena. And if he doesn't want to clinch, then it probably breaks onto the stand up. And I feel like with Kamaru's chin and his power. He's just bigger. 
I just haven't seen enough from Gilbert at 170 to think that his stand-up will outlast Kamaru's. We've seen the stand-up sh- shown off from Kamaru against Kobe Covington when that was an absolute slugfest. And Kamaru was able to finish Kobe Covington. Co- Covington's a cardio god, and I don't think... Gilbert Burns brings that same kind of threat in terms of a five-round slugfest that Kobe does. So I feel like Kamaru has to have the, the advantage in the stand-up there. I know I'm, I'm starting to sound one-sided in terms of how I'm looking at this fight when it's supposed to be very, very, like, even in terms of these two teammates going into the same fight. And a, a lot, like, they've seen each other a lot, like, probably over 200 hours of sparring against each other or something like that. But I, for some reason, I just view Gilbert Burns as, like, the Charles Oliveira of the division. You you look at who he's, who he's beat to get to this title shot. He's beat Tyron Woodley, who now... Everyone has in Tyron Woodley's recent fights. Everyone's beaten him down. Ever since Kamaru did it, it seems like like everyone's done it. Tyron Woodley hasn't been the same guy since then. So that fight is becoming more and more unimpressive. And his only other significant fight at 170 that got him the title shot was Damian Maya, who isn't a top tier. Like, he's a good contender. He proposes a threat, but in terms of the elite of the elite, the elite of the elite in the division, Damian Maia isn't one of those guys. So I don't know. In terms of the path, how I'm comparing him to Charles Oliveira, we talked about how Charles Oliveira only beat Tony Ferguson, who's on a losing streak, and he hasn't been the same guy either, uh, like similar to Tyrone Woodley. And his only other win was against Kevin Lee. As a, as a notable name but like like we're saying he's not one of those elite of the lead in the division he, he, he's a name but he's he's not a serious contender for a championship so it, it makes me question on Gilbert Burns' pathway to the championship like there's a lot of politics inside this welterweight division with Jorge Mazadal wanting more money and Kobe Covington only wanting to fight for the title like, there's a lot of politics and picky fighters where they're they're not willing to sign the dotted line, it seems. So, so that was a few months ago, and it feels like Gilbert Burns was getting this opportunity because he was the only one game. He, he was the one accepting the fights, and he got himself a title shot this way. But in terms of earning his way, I feel like he hasn't had the same resume that a lot of these top welterweight guys have. In terms of, like, I get it's the only person Kamaru also hasn't beat it at this point. So that is also a big thing. Like, I'm not trying to say that Gilbert Burns isn't a very, very, like, significant threat, but uh, he just doesn't have to seem to have the names behind him that blow me away that makes me think, okay, this guy's like, he's going to do it. He's never, like, he, I don't think he's been in an octagon with the kind of vicious animal Sparring is one thing, but when you're inside the octagon, it has to be it has to be completely different. Like Kamaru Uzman's gonna have mal intent inside his heart, and he's gonna be looking to hurt you. And it's gonna be a completely different feeling when you're fighting the guy opposed to sparring. And I'll be I'll be very shocked if Gilbert Burns. I hate to say shocked because Gilbert Burns is elite as well. Like his 
don't know. The more I think about the matchup, I feel like it's going to be so tough. <laughs> Kamaru Uzman has been one of the most... He's got to be... I feel like he's approaching that Matt Hughes level of welterweight legacy. He's got to be... He's Is he closing in on GSP? I, I, he's probably a few more defenses away from being, from being considered... Um, from being considered on that George St. Pierre level. But in terms of welterweight dominance, he's like he's got to be a top three welterweight champion of all time by now. <sighs> he's just such a dominant force inside the octagon. Ah, my prediction for this fight, man. I initially, as I was thinking before this episode, I was thinking five round decision. Like it's going all five rounds. Kamaru Usman wins it by decision. But the more I think about how dominant Usman has been and just how little I've seen from Gilbert Burns inside the division, he's 4-0, but the names aren't behind him. He only really has Tyron Woodley, who, who sat his ass on the fence the whole fight, and Damian Maya. Hmm. I'm going to say... A fifth. I'm gonna go along the lines of Kobe Covington. I feel like this fight plays out very similar to Kobe Covington, where they both respect each other on the ground and in the clinch too much. Where it's gonna turn into a stand-up fight, and I feel Kamaru Usman is just a little bit, like just significant enough to finish the fight. I'm gonna say five round TKO, fifth round. T- hmm. I, the more I talk about it, the more I'm convincing myself. I'm gonna say. I'm going to say third round TKO Kamaru. Uh, I'm kind of shocking myself by saying that, but I just think Kamaru is going to... It's so hard to say, man. TKO, third round, Kamaru might all lock it in, I guess. I could see it inside the fourth round, too. Maybe in the fifth round, but we'll lock in third round because I said it already. Yeah, uh, I can see this fight playing out a lot of ways, but but that's my prediction there. Kamara's just been such a dominant, dominant champion. 13-0, 12-0 since joining the UFC. Or 16-1, 13-fight win streak, 12-0 since joining the UFC. It's just, you can't bet against this guy right now. The type of freak athlete he is, just he's just on a different level. And in in this, fight, this fight game is about levels. There's levels to this game, and Kamaru's proven he's he's on a different level than everyone else right now. So that's my prediction there. Um, I I will I will toot my own horn a little bit right there right now because our predictions on this podcast so far have been absolutely on the money. We missed the Conor McGregor predi- prediction, but we did nail the prediction on how Dustin Poirier would beat Conor McGregor. So I'll give myself a little bit of credit there. We did predict Volkov beating Alistair Overeem. We did predict the Patriots winning the Super Bowl when they were the underdog. And the Patriots absolutely mollywopped them. So I feel like our predictions are, are playing out really, really well. So ho- hopefully this one follows suit. Um, let, let's move on into the news now, though. That's that main event. I, I feel like it has the potential to be an insane fight. Has the potential to be uh, a Kamaru Usman landslide. Maybe, maybe Gilbert Burns shocks the world too. His jiu-jitsu is has like 
an elite level to it that maybe we're all underestimating the jiu-jitsu and Josh Thompson is right. Anyways, on to the news. As I, as I kind of hinted to earlier, absolutely devastating news, man, inside this welterweight division as well. Kamar, or Hasma Chamayev has pulled out the COVID-19 um, side effects yet again. This this Chamayev versus Leon Edwards fight canceled yet again. I feel like this was the third attempt. Leon Edwards had to pull out the first time. I think now Chamayev has pulled out the second, the second and third times. Um, I've uh, both times due to COVID-19 side subdued side effects, whatever you want to call it. It has to be. I feel like it's just messing with this conditioning. I don't think he's able to reach the kind of conditioning, the peak fitness he wants to before he enters the octagon against the type of assassin Leon Edwards can be. Like, and you can't blame the guy. You want, like, you want to, if you're stepping in this fight game, if you're not, if you're not comfortable and you don't think you're, you're at the type of fitness or level or conditioning level you want to be inside the octagon and you're going up against a guy like Leon Edwards, who can take your head off, then yes, like, make sure you're ready to fight. And Hazmat Chmaev is looking a career outbreak right in the face. If you, He's number 15 ranked right now. He hasn't faced a contender, and he has a fight lined up against the number three or number four contender inside the division. So, like... He, he doesn't want to go inside that octagon where he, he's out of shape and he's still feeling the COVID side effects and gets rocked and he, and everyone, like, he's got a huge hype train behind him right now and he's not trying to lose that by going in and getting getting demolished by Leon Edwards. So I understand why he, he's taking his time here. I'm not sure if the UFC reschedules this for a fourth time. Steven Thompson already said he's willing to step in and take on Leon Edwards. Which, that would make sense. Like, that's an exciting fight. It, it's not the same kind of exciting that Hazma Chmaev is, though. That This Hazma Chmaev versus Leon Edwards is probably one of the most exciting. It's super, like, this could be a blink. Uh, I probably won't go that far. This is one of the most exciting fights you'll ever see, not for a belt. Like, it's just, Chmaev has... Fought three times inside the UFC since debuting last year, and he's already fighting a number three contender. When he, when he's faced no two no names, and now Jerome Richard, and now he's fighting Leon Edwards. He's taken that kind of leap. He has that kind of hype train behind him. He brings that kind of excitement inside the octagon, and and the fans love him. I love him. He's one of my favorite fighters, and I hope he bounces back strong, man. I hope he like this fight is starting to feel like Habib versus Tony. Where it just keeps getting booked and canceled and booked and canceled. I hope he comes back strong. I'm not sure if the UFC reschedules this one or not. But if they don't reschedule and they go Thompson's direction or, or whatever. Then that sucks for Chamayev. But I, I hopefully he gets another top level contender. And and he can still continue to work his way up to, inside the division. Bringing as much as, as excitement as he does. Yeah, uh, hope for good health for Chamayev. I hope they do rebook it because the fight just makes so much sense. Leon Edwards is struggling to get a big-name fight with all the politics we said that there are inside this division. And Chamayev brings that big name without 
being one of those top contenders. So it works out for everyone. It gives Shamayev also an opportunity to prove that he belongs inside the top five of the welterweight division. But, yeah, just sad, sad news there, man, for Chamayev playing out again. Moving on, Bellator. Bellator made big, big headlines this week. They they released a ton of fights. They, they released their new light heavyweight Grand Prix tournament. In the first round, you have Yoel Romero versus taking on Anthony jo- Joshua. Or, or is it Anthony Johnson? Wow, I'm blowing this one. Anthony Joshua is the freaking boxer. Wow. Okay. That sucks. Yeah, Anthony Rumble Johnson. And that's inside the first round because the Bellator knows what kind of crazy fight that's going to be. They, they didn't want to miss the opportunity of putting these guys a potential to meet up later in the tournament. So they're kicking them off right from the get-go. That's going to be the first fight of the tournament, at least on their side of the bracket. And wow, man, that, that's such an insane fight. Two very notable names that made their names inside the UFC. They're off to Bellator now. This is going to be Yo Romero's Bellator debut. And he does not get an easy one. He gets Anthony Rumble and Johnson. A lot of people are predicting Yo Romero. But I'm going to take Anthony Johnson in this fight. Why not? This guy, like he's he's a legit threat. Other notables inside this this tournament you may have heard before are Leota Machida and Corey Anderson. They're also inside that tournament. Two, like this light heavyweight tournament, it's gonna it's gonna be insane. Uh, Bellator also booked Patricio Pitbull. Um, yeah, he he's returning to featherweight. He he last beat Michael Chandler for the belt. Michael Chandler. Yes, that Michael Chandler, who who's inside the UFC now, who just knocked out Dan Hooker. Um, yeah, Patricio Pitbull is the guy that took the belt away from him. So that kind of tells you what kind of fighter Patricio Pitbull is. And he's returning to featherweight to fight, and my brother's telling me the guy he's facing, I think his name's Emmanuel Sanchez, is crazy. So that, that fight's going to be insane too. Shout out to Bellator for putting on these crazy, crazy fights. Sergio Pettis, the younger brother of Anthony Pettis, Anthony Showtime. He's also getting getting booked. The only bad news about all this is none of these fights are happening until April, man. I don't know what Bellator is doing. Falling so far behind the UFC in this year. UFC gets a free three-month head start on uh, on Bellator. And it's just, how, how does Bellator expect to compete with these guys? I don't know. It could be to all the COVID stuff, but... Whatever. Bellator's the only other news that Bellator broke is they saw um, signs the beats brother, Hassan. So so excitement there. Um, people will be looking to see if he he can become the fighter that his older brother has. So yeah, lots of excitement coming out from Bellator. Uh, I look forward to those fights coming. I'll definitely be watching them with my brother on uh, Showtime or DAZN. And, and it, the more excitement Bellator brings and brings competition to the UFC is better for all us MMA fans because the more competition the UFC has, the more they have to try to make great fights too to compete with all the others. It, it's a win-win for all MMA fans, for all the organizations. Just when competition is is healthy for for the sport and. 
you the only thing that I would like to I don't know if I'd like to see it but it's just hard you compare this stuff to soccer where there's so many different organizations so many different leagues if you will with big names the only thing with soccer is there or or even for boxing if you want to compare it to a similar sport where there's all these different organizations but they'll eventually meet up where they'll have two champions risking both their belts in within the same weight class for example if Michael Chandler were still the champion in Bellator, Bellator can have Michael Chandler fighting. Um, what's his name? Habib for the lightweight belt. And that'd be a, both those guys would have their two belts on the line and can part ways after. Uh, uh, it's interesting the UFC doesn't do something like that, or compared to how soccer does it, where if you win the belt in or if you win the championship in soccer or, or place as a high seed, you move on to the Champions League in soccer where all these great teams compete in a separate league in terms of, but it's a tournament style. I don't, it's just something like that. But MMA hasn't gone quite to that point yet. I'm not sure if it ever will. These these They view each other more as competition right now. So, which isn't a bad thing, as I was saying before. It's very healthy for the sport. You want competition, so these these companies have to continue to put on great fights if they want to compete. So yeah, back to the UFC. Anthony Smith steps in to replace Johnny Walker to fight Jimmy Crew. Super super amazing fight at light heavyweight. That's gonna be you. Anthony Lionheart Smith is, you know. Just he's always gonna be an exciting fight because he's so hard to put away, and he's just gonna put it all on the line every single time he's in there. So and Jimmy Crew has is a young potential star, so incredible fight. I'm glad they're able to find a replacement there. Move, moving on, Dominic Reyes versus Yerdy is back on. It's headlining fight night on May 1st, so that fight is back on. Uh, happy for both these guys. They both. Have spark start like these are two great fights inside the light heavyweight division. Dominic Reyes is hopefully trying to bounce back from that two two devastating losses, man. Coming off that loss to John Jones, where he thinks he won. I saw John Jones's way, but I'm in the rare rare side on that camp. A lot of people had Dominic Reyes, and then he lost the title back to back title shots. He loses against Jan Blakovitz. So this is his bounce back fight against the guy making his UFC debut. And if you're making your UFC debut against a guy like Dominic Reyes, it, it shows you what the UFC thinks of you. Like I say, he, he's got to have some potential behind him and he could be the next guy up inside the lightweight division if he takes a Dominic Reyes in terms of a title shot. So glad they got this fight back on. Fight night headliner May 1st. Very, very happy about that. In other news, Nate Diaz got interviewed on Ariel Hawani's show. And, and the only takeaways from this uh, that I heard was he's not interested in the Conor trilogy. So we're talking a lot about that. Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz 3. Doesn't seem like it's happening anytime soon now. So Conor isn't able to backfall onto that. And I feel like Nate Diaz is a man of his word when he says that. He seems to keep it real. So, yeah. I guess that trilogy is kind of falling out. Nate Diaz seems to view view fighting a lot different than a lot of these fighters do. He thinks that if if you get finished inside the octagon, it's just embarrassing. Like it's one, it's the worst outcome that you can have in a fight by far. When you're finished inside the UFC, like you're like 
he'd rather have, as he said on the on the interview with Ariel Hawani, he said he'd rather have a hundred losses by decision than one loss by knockout or or submission. He he hates getting finished, or he thinks it's embarrassing. And Connor, who who's been finished twice now in his two of his last three fights, Nate Diaz thinks he's a joke, and he says he he he'll pursue that trilogy if he starts to lose a few more fights in a row. UC seems to be leaning towards Connor versus Dustin, anyways. Nate Diaz called out Dustin or Charles because he wants to face a fighter or a winning fighter right now. But surprise, surprise, Charles Oliveira turns it down in hopes of a title shot. Wow. Man, Charles Oliveira is painting a bad picture turning down all these fights. I, I, get, I get it that the UFC didn't propose this fight to him. So it's not like he turned it down, like turned down the contract. But like just showing no interest in anything besides the title is not going to get you the title. Like the UFC giving you fights that aren't for the title shows what they think where you are inside the division right now and turning down these ti- these fights aren- isn't going to get you any closer to that, f- that title shot man I feel like Charles Oliver is blowing it and he can find himself outside the lightweight division picture real soon Dustin however did did say he's interested in that 170 fight against Nate Diaz I'm not sure if he's being real about that or if he's just using it as some leverage to get his way towards the Conor McGregor trilogy, towards a title shot, whatever he wants to leverage it towards. He can he can basically do whatever he wants right now. So, yeah, uh, that's our show, everyone. That That's all the news I have to break outside the, the pay-per-view this weekend. But oh, I'm curious to see how this, this main event plays out. We have one of the best welterweight champs we've ever seen going up against... A world-class jiu-jitsu practitioner who's just been absolutely incredible lately inside the division. I know once this fight comes on, my heart's going to start pounding and I'm probably going to go silent. And I'm probably going to start screaming as soon as I hear anything land and freak out at the tiniest things. But, yeah, this fight has the potential to bring that kind of excitement. I'm super stoked about it. I know I'm... starting to lean heavy towards Kamaru but it still has the potential to be an absolute war inside there where two two top top level guys are just brawling savaging showing elite elite MMA stuff and I'm stoked man this is one of the best title fights you can ask for right now and I'm glad both of them were able to make it to the octagon healthy and I hope they both put on a show I'll see you guys on the other side of the pay-per-view. As always, we'll be breaking down everything that happens, what's moving forward for these guys, and and what kind of exciting things we have to look forward to after the fights. Yeah, thank you for listening this far into the episode. I'm sorry if it was rushed a little bit, but I I wanted to get it out for you guys so you can listen to it on Friday instead of Saturday. So I hope you guys all enjoyed. See you on the other side of the pay-per-view. Have a good Friday. Uh, and enjoy the fights. See you guys. I'm looking for exciting. I'm looking for flashy. I'm looking for somebody who has that uh, that thing. What is that thing? The Jibber Jab MMA podcast. What is that thing? <laughs>